thanks for connecting with our online content at Holy Trinity Church in Richmond. We really hope that what we share with you will be a blessing and will help you to continue to grow in your knowledge and love of God. second reading comes from 1st Peter chapter 4 verses 12 to 19 and that's on page 1231 dear friends do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. This is the word of the Lord. Earlier this year, we spent time in Peter's first letter, which is a letter to a scattered and hurting church. It's a letter to Christians who are trying to make sense of the reality of the great cost of following Jesus in a culture which is becoming increasingly hostile to them. Uh, we need to remember that at the time Peter's writing, hostilities against the church and persecution against the church is not at its peak, but living as a Christian is becoming very uncomfortable for people in the Roman Empire. Uh, some of Peter's original hearers were forced across the empire, needing to leave their homes by an emperor who was becoming more and more hostile to them. As they've moved, they've lost friends. They've been rejected by their family because of their faith in Jesus. Some have lost their jobs, or for those who are slaves, they're now treated even worse by their masters. And so Peter writes as an encouragement to Christians, helping them to think about the trials that they're facing. He tells them that in their trials, God's grace is at work. He calls them to hold fast to the truth that they've received about the Lord Jesus Christ, not to abandon it. He reminds them of their calling as a chosen people, and he likens them to exiles living in a world that is not their home. Their home is with God in heaven. As we pick up this letter again over the next three weeks and begin the third major section of teaching, we're going to think about the words of the section and what it does for us. Remember that first section, which prepared us to think about how God was at work in the world. Well, this morning, we're going to be thinking about how we are prepared to live with suffering as we wait for Jesus' return are called or are called home to him. Peter is preparing us to suffer well like Jesus as God's chosen people living as exiles in this world. 
As we work through this passage today, we're going to anchor the very real suffering that we experience in the pattern of Jesus as we look at verses 12 and 13. And then we're going to consider the purpose of suffering for Jesus in verses 14 to 18. And then finally, very briefly, we'll consider how we're sustained by the example of Jesus in verse 19, so that we can not only endure when suffering comes our way, but so that we can also see how God uses it for his glory in this world. We know where we're going this morning, why don't we pray? Lord, you know our sufferings and trials. You know the struggles that we face in a culture which is increasingly hostile to your people. Do we pray that this morning as we open your word, your spirit would give us courage to continue to stand fast and to suffer in a way that would glorify you. Lord, we need your spirit's help to do that. And so we pray that you would be at work in our lives and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, over the past week or so, Gen X and Gen Ys have been impacted by the death of actor Matthew Perry. I'm not sure if many of you will know him. He was famous for starring in the sitcom Friends, which was really popular through the 90s and early 2000s. Uh, Perry died at his home, and at this stage, the cause of his death is still unknown. And the internet, as always, is full of different theories about how he might have died. Not just because he was a celebrity, but also because he is known as someone who suffered in his life. It's no secret that Matthew Perry battled against drug addiction. He had struggles with his weight, and at times he felt remarkably lonely at something that was known about him. Despite his success and fame and fortune, Matthew Perry suffered. It surprises us when celebrities suffer, doesn't it? They seem to have it all. They've got money, they've got fame, they've got invites to all the Hollywood parties that you should be at. They live the luxury lifestyle of the rich and famous. We expect Hollywood superstars to be above suffering. Sometimes we forget that they're real people living in the real world with real hurts. We expect them to be above the suffering and the troubles of ordinary people. Sometimes in the church we can develop a similar surprise at suffering. Because we serve a victorious risen Lord, we can be surprised when we hurt. Because we're the people of God, we can fall into the trap of believing that we should be victorious and untouchable, living lives of comfort and abundance and some kind of special supernatural ease. Peter has told us that we are a chosen people, that we're a people saved by grace, and that we're set apart to serve God with our lives. In one sense, we do have it all, don't we? We have salvation. We have a redeeming Lord. We have the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. We have an eternal future and an eternal hope. We have a new family that we're adopted into in Christ. We do have it all. But we shouldn't be surprised when we suffer. We aren't saved to some kind of bulletproof existence because of Jesus. The opposite is true, Peter tells us. We are drawn into the suffering of Jesus. We participate in his suffering, verse 13. Now, Peter's not talking about some kind of mystical experience when he talks about participating in the suffering Jesus. He's also not talking about the ordinary, everyday suffering that we experience as a result of the fall and sin in our world. We do suffer, don't we, like the rest of the world? Some of us have broken families. Some of us are the victims of others who have harmed and hurt us. Some of us get ill. Some of our kids and grandchildren struggle. Some of our businesses fail. We suffer just like everybody else. 
Christian people are not destined to avoid any of the results of the fall and sin until Jesus returns and undoes them in his final and fulfilled kingdom. Until his return, we should expect to follow his pattern. First he suffered, then he was glorified. First he died, then he was raised. That is the pattern of Jesus. And it's the pattern of all who follow in his footsteps. So church, when we're suffering, don't be tempted to think that you're failing at faith. Or even worse, that God is punishing you or that he's far away and doesn't care about you. When life is hard and you're tempted to think, why me? Why is this happening? Doesn't God care? Peter points us to Jesus and his pattern of suffering before glory so that we can rejoice. What is Peter thinking? How on earth would we rejoice at suffering? That sounds wrong, doesn't it? Has he got a screw loose? Well, he tells us that Christian people can rejoice not just endure, but that we can thankfully celebrate suffering because we have an amazing future in the Lord Jesus, which is beyond the greatest wealth that this world could offer. Because one day we will dwell face to face with God, conformed to his perfect likeness. Because now we are being redeemed and sanctified and filled by God's spirit, we can rejoice. We're a chosen people. Peter says we're a holy nation, a royal priesthood. That means that we're being shaped more and more to be like Jesus, to serve Jesus, to be useful to Jesus, and to follow the pattern of his life and ministry. And in that we can absolutely rejoice because we are being made to be more like our Lord who loves us. But how can we do it practically? Well, one place I can point you, friends, is to the Psalms. If you need to consider time of suffering and to rejoice, read the Psalms. Psalms like Psalm 73, Psalms like Psalm 91 or 63. These are good places where we both hold together the pain of life and God's goodness in the midst of it. Thank God as well for opportunities to be more like Jesus. Come to God and thank him for the trials and challenges which come our way and ask that we would respond like Christ, not like Zane or Gary or your name, that we would respond like Jesus, not ourselves. And to rejoice as well, can I encourage you to pray for the persecuted church? Not just a kind of as a pick-me-up or thinking at least I don't have it that bad, but pray for the persecuted church and give thanks for their boldness and ask that you would have the boldness and courage to suffer for Jesus like Christians who are really counting the cost. Those are some basic ways that we can rejoice and give thanks to God. And carry on. Keep turning up. Keep being around Christian people. Keep opening your Bible and coming to Jesus every day is a way of showing your faith and trust in him. That is how we can rejoice in the sufferings that come our way. Well, as Peter works through, he's helped Christian people recognize that suffering is part of life. It follows Jesus' pattern, first to suffer and then he is glorified. And so we shouldn't have any expectation for it to be any different for us. Now he turns his attention to a particular kind of suffering. Did you pick it up in verse 14? It's suffering that is unique to Christian people. It's being insulted for the name of Christ. This is the kind of suffering where Christian people are insulted or belittled or ridiculed. And it can leave us feeling ashamed of our beliefs, which today are characterized as old-fashioned, as childish, sometimes as unenlightened or uneducated. Now they're called bigoted 
And to some people, they'd say the things that we believe are even dangerous. And as you hear that kind of messaging, Peter calls us not to be ashamed. Instead, we're going to rejoice, remember? Think of the apostles in Acts 5. They were flogged and they were ordered not to speak of the name of Jesus again. But in Acts 5.41, it says this, they left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, for the name of Jesus. To be insulted as a Christian is an assurance that you are Christ-like. It's evidence of the Spirit of God at work in you, transforming you. And verse 14 tells us it's a seal of the Spirit's work in your life. Now, God's glory won't be fully revealed until Jesus returns, but here and now it's being revealed in us as we walk in his way. And so as we suffer, that's a sign to us that we are following Jesus, walking in his footsteps. Suffering for following Jesus isn't a sign of being abandoned by God. It's the opposite. It's confirmation that God is with you and is changing you. Because you're insulted when your beliefs conform to the gospel. You're insulted when your life is reflecting Jesus. If you're insulted because of your gospel convictions, by the things that you say no to and the things that you say yes to, Jesus will be glorified as you work out your trust in him and believe things that only his spirit could help you to believe. But there's also a warning Don't expect to return glory to Jesus if you suffer rightly. If you do the wrong thing, and he uses an extreme example here, he says, if you murder or if you steal, if you're a murderer or a thief, don't be tempted to look around and say, poor me. If you suffer and it's your own fault, then you're going to get what you deserve. If you break the speed limit, expect a ticket. That's not oppression, that's just what you deserve for doing the wrong thing. Likewise, if you're a meddler, is the word that uh, Peter uses, if you're a meddler, a person who's a pain to work with because you're always trying to wind your workmates up because of Jesus. If you're someone who undermines others and uses your faith as the reason for that, if you look for that opportunity to kind of wind people up under the guise of defending your faith, then you'll get what you deserve and don't be surprised, Peter tells these Christian people. But if you're being run down or bad-mouthed, or passed over, because you are like Jesus, because you love Jesus, because you reflect Jesus, then be absolutely assured God hasn't forgotten you or abandoned you. That is his glory being worked out in your life. We're also told that God uses this particular suffering as a kind of judgment in verse 17. Now that sounds a bit uncomfortable, doesn't it? Most of us are probably used to the idea of an eschatological judgment, a judgment that comes at the last day where God will accept those as righteous whose faith is in Jesus and in his justice he will reject those who have rejected to Jesus for eternity to hell. But often we're uncomfortable with the idea of God exercising any kind of judgment here and now. That sits a bit uncomfortably with us. But verse 17 tells us that sometimes God does do that. God uses the suffering that comes on Christians because they confess Jesus as Lord as a way of demonstrating their authenticity. I love watching Antiques Roadshow. Uh, There's a real thrill on this show, isn't there, when someone brings an old vase that they bought for a pound at a car boot sale and you discover it's worth 10,000 pounds. We love that story. 
Uh, but not everyone who comes along on Antiques Roadshow has a priceless treasure. Sometimes there's a little bit of pleasure as well in the person with the, um, with the, the nose in the air and the, the high accent who comes along and their priceless treasures, not what they expected. You know, the, the trained expert looks at the kind of item that they've brought along and they finish their description of it and then they've got bad news for this person who thinks they're carrying a priceless treasure with them. They say something like, it can't be a turner because the brush strokes are a bit clumsy. I'm afraid it's not a real Rolex. The movement of the watch is just ever slightly so jerky. I'd love to be able to tell you it's a Chippendale, but the way the drawers are joined give it away as a reproduction, and hearts sink, don't they? What is the expert doing? They're judging that piece, aren't they? They're examining it. They're putting it under scrutiny to see if it's the genuine article or not. It can look very convincing on the outside, and so can we. God does that same work in our lives with suffering. As we suffer, as we suffer because people insult and ridicule us because of Jesus, God is training an expert eye on his people, seeing how they respond to that suffering. He's watching to see whether they'll endure and hold fast to his standards or whether they'll shrink back, whether they'll stand firm on the gospel or whether they'll fall away on something else. He is bringing us back to Peter's earlier call to revere Christ as Lord. That's what he is asking. Are you putting Jesus first? And so he judges. And he does that because not all will endure. What will become of the ungodly and the sinner, Peter asks through Proverbs 11.31? Well, they'll face the final judgment with no assurance, with no hope, with no future, with no salvation in the Lord Jesus. The warning to the Christian who is suffering for their faith is to stand firm and hold fast to the truth of the gospel. And one way we can do that is to meditate on his glorious promises to us in the scripture. Memorize them. Write them on the fridge. Put them on a post-it. Learn the promises of Jesus. Repeat them in song. Sing them out and listen to them in your home and in your life so that you are constantly reminded of the promises of Jesus. So that we keep on drilling down deeper and deeper into the promises of Jesus so that they become louder and louder than the insults of the people who hate us because they hated our Lord. Church, some of you have done that for your whole lives, haven't you? You've held fast to Jesus at a tremendous cost. Praise God and thank you. Thank you for your Christian example of doing that and doing that well. There are others among us who are just getting started out in our faith or are now only for the first time recognising the change in the culture around us which is disturbing and unsettling after a whole lifetime of Christians being not just acceptable but favoured in our culture and that's all gone. Whether we've been rejoicing and suffering for a short time or a long time, Peter has a final exhortation for us. It's an encouragement for us today. He says, follow Jesus' example. Remember the suffering before the glory. Hold fast to the truth of the gospel. Follow Jesus' example in two ways. Verse 19, firstly, commit yourself to a faithful creator. It's where we look above ourselves. It's when we decide to hold on to that truth that is bigger than our thoughts and feelings. It's the time that we recognize that our faithful creator, the Lord of all, loves us and is near us. Uh, William's broken both of his elbows, 
And when he broke the first one, Karen was right there beside him in hospital while he waited for surgery. Now, he had no idea at times that she was there. They couldn't do the surgery on the first night, so they had to overnight him there with a broken elbow. It was a bit grim. William slept fitfully while Karen kept vigil at his bedside. And after the surgery, waiting for him in recovery, he had no idea at all that she was there. But not for a minute did she take her eyes off her son while he suffered. She didn't abandon him or leave him. She stayed as close to him as possible. How much more is the love of God for us than the mother for the child? God knows exactly what his dear children are going through in our times of suffering. Even more than a mother near a hospital bed, he is watching over his children. He's able to support, to help, to encourage, to care for us because he is the Lord and creator of all. He holds every precious moment, every joy, and every victory in his hands. He holds every anguish and all of our suffering in his hands. We are safe with him, friends. So live like it. Continue to put your trust by committing yourselves in the faithful creator who makes his will and purpose for us known so clearly in the scriptures. Trust him. And as we live out that trust in the God who is the Lord of all creation, we are told again to continue to do good. It's very easy to become bitter, isn't it? Bitter against those who harm us, who insult us, who ridicule us. Our hearts can become hardened and calloused as the world consistently pushes against us. We can become reactionary and harsh rather than full of grace and bearers of peace. As we follow Jesus' pattern of suffering before glory, we can also follow his example to bless those who would curse us, to love our enemies, to turn the other cheek. It's something that Peter has emphasized for us over and over again. Do you remember when he said, live such good lives among the pagans that they would glorify your father and God at the day of his appearing? He says, obey those who are set in authority over you. Even this government that is hurting and harming you, respect them and do the right thing. Do good. If you're a slave and you've got a harsh master, work for him well. Do good to the one who would harm you. Wives, you might have an awful husband. Submit to him in a way that is loving. Don't make his life difficult. Husbands, Give away your strength to love your wives. Do good in your marriage relationships. So countercultural. It's so crazy to think that we would love and bless those who would harm us. But that is the call that Peter has for us in the Lord Jesus. He says, follow the example of the loving Lord Jesus, who when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself whole to him who judged justly. 1 Peter 2, 3. To suffer is not only to be human. It is inextricably linked, deeply interwoven. It is the bog-standard experience of the Christian. To live in this world as a follower of Christ is to suffer. So do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal, Peter tells us. Count it as a blessing when the world heaps abuse on you 
and suffer well doing good, dear Christian. And as we suffer well, we show our trust in the promises of God. We show that we believe that he is as good as his word and that his promises are true and that we value the the words of the Lord Jesus above all else. As we are examined closely and persevere, revering the Lord Jesus, committing ourselves to him, and doing good in a world that hates us like it hated our Lord, it shows that you believe his Holy Spirit, the Spirit of glory, is at work in you, transforming you so that you sound a bit more like Jesus, think a bit more like Jesus, and act a bit more like Jesus every day. As we suffer well, we prove whose we are. We prove where our home is, So that by enduring suffering for the sake of Jesus, we prove the genuineness of our faith, which results in praise and honour and glory when he returns. That's worth rejoicing in, isn't it? That we get to glorify our Lord and have that privilege. To be counted like the Lord Jesus as one who suffers is evidence of his spirit at work in us. Why don't we pray and ask him to help us to do that well? Let's pray. Lord, we don't want to glorify suffering. We know that it is hard. It is hard to be hated by the world. It is hard to live with the natural consequences of the fall and sin which harm us and hurt us. But neither do we want to avoid suffering when it's used for our good. And so we pray, Lord, that you would help us to have a sober mind when it comes to the suffering that comes our way. And that in it we would see the pattern of Jesus and follow the example of Jesus as we suffer for Jesus. We pray, Lord, that you would help us not to be ashamed when we suffer, not to think that you've abandoned us, but to see it as something that is making us more like you. We pray as well, Lord, that every day you'd help us to commit ourselves to you, our faithful creator, and to do good to those who would harm us. Lord, we can't do that in and of ourselves, and so we pray that you would do that in and through us, by your Holy Spirit at work in us. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. If you'd like to connect with more of our online content at Holy Trinity in Richmond, you can do that by going to our YouTube page simply by searching for Richmond Anglican Aotearoa. You can also touch base with us online at our website or on Facebook by searching with those same words. Friends, we're so thankful that you've joined us online and that you're enjoying our content. We really do hope and pray that God is blessing you through it. If you've got any feedback, you can touch base with me, zane at richmondparish.nz. Thanks so much for listening.